Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at ReachSummitPod. And I'm Zach Dosh, and you can reach me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. Hey, Zach and Todd. I'm Greg Steeman, and you can reach me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. So here's the great news. We have basketball to talk about. For the first time in our young podcast life, we have actual games to talk about. We've seen the teams play all but Western Illinois. They have not played yet. Uh, One of the first things I wanted to talk about is a trend I saw in the league as a whole. And then I think we'll jump into team by team what we saw. And the trend that I saw was poor three-point shooting and a lot of turnovers. So as a league... The, the league in D1 competition, so in games where they didn't play a D3 or D2 opponent, the league shot 22% from behind the arc, and that's 16% if you take out South Dakota State's numbers and average 16 turnovers a game. And one of the things that we noticed in the offseason was almost every team was missing at least two high-usage guards from last year, and almost every team had lost their point guard from the year before. So my, what I was wondering was, is this just a product of putting new people in guard positions? Is it the high level of competition? Is it a trend we might see for the remainder of the year? Um, wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Well, I, I thought, I, I think it's a little bit of all those, you know, it's usually not just one thing. And, and normally I don't like talking in generalities, you know, but it, it's interesting. There are several teams that are in sort of the same situation where, you know, they lost a lot of production from last year. They're trying to bring in a, a number of different guys and they're doing it against very good competition. So I think this is probably a little exaggerated at this point. Um, but you're right, though. I think I think a lot of these teams are trying to figure out what their offensive identity is going to be because they lost it from last year and it's going to take a little bit. Um, they have about a month here to figure it out. Um, but you're right. We are seeing some some similar themes here throughout these, at least this first week anyway. So, you know, it's it, it doesn't necessarily matter where you start. It matters where you get, particularly at the end of December, once the, the conference games start in January. So um, definitely a consistent theme that we're seeing, though. Yeah, it is, Zach and Todd. And, and I think, you know, you hit on it. Both of you hit on it. You know, when you look at some of the high-level perimeter players and primary ball handlers and decision makers that departed the summit league this past season. It, it basically shows the value of those people um, taking care of the ball and being strong with the ball at key times. And I think we also have a number of teams that are working some younger players into the rotation um, with the exception of say a South Dakota state that are, uh, are they're really under baptism by fire because as as both of you have mentioned when you factor out the the non-division one games you're looking at some pretty decent level competition that these teams are facing and they will uh they will expose a, a lack of strength with the ball or a lack of good decision making and so i think that factors in the turnover and also when you look at the three point percentage you know, bad threes are no different than turnovers. You know, missed threes because they're long rebounds, they turn into transition opportunities. So I think when you factor both of those things in, uh, you've got a lot of teams in the Summit League that are learning to adapt a little bit to their new personnel, some new roles that might be taking place, and also some young players that have to factor into some critical roles. So I think it's going to be interesting to 
to watch how it all pans out. Again, we go back to the fact that this is a, this is a one-bid league. These non-conference games are valuable, and uh, they're, they're a great learning tool. And I think we'll see a lot of coaches adjust and, and, uh, and, and utilize their personnel at, at the highest level possible to say, hey, how do we give ourselves the best chance to be successful? And, and two of those things are valuing the ball, getting shots up every time down the floor, and, and then also converting a, on open looks from behind the three-point arc, because I think that's the key, is if you, if you don't have great decision-making and the ability to break down a defense, you're going to have contested threes as opposed to step-in threes. So it's a, it's, a, it's a process, and I think we're going to see a lot of teams make those adjustments here over the course of at least the next you know, five, six, seven games. It'll be interesting to see how those statistics shake out. I'm not a big analytics guy, you know, um, but the, the one that I, I do think is interesting is obviously plus minus, right? Cause that's, that's what all this boils down to. And, and last year, not only did we have point guards that were good at scoring, um, but their plus minus when they were on the floor versus when they weren't on the floor, uh, it w- was, was off the charts. I mean, th- the production of all their teammates went through the roof when they were on the floor and cause not only were they good players, but they were, they were very good facilitators. You know, they were very good pace setters. They understood what pace of play they should be playing with. And I know like particularly like Marlon Stewart, for example, um, he basically took the whole first half to get his teammates going. Cause he know, he could, he knew he, that he could get going whenever he wanted to. And it's particularly in the second half down the stretch, but he also, knew that his job was going to be easier if his teammates got going. So he would get them going. He made a point of that. So um, just really a lot of identity has, has graduated out of this conference and they're trying to find out, you know, their rotations, their roles, all this stuff on the fly. Um, And I think this year, you know, these offenses, they're just going to be different, right? I mean, last year there was a lot of players that again, were very good in the ball screen and that's not the case this year. Um, you know, maybe Max Aismas from, from Oral Roberts, but outside of that, there's not a ton of players that are great in the pick and roll either. So you're, you're kind of seeing a lot of these offenses like UNDs, like NDSUs, where you have, you know, five good players on there, but they're all kind of looking at each other like, okay, are you going to, are you going to create, are you going to put the ball on the floor, get in the paint, draw the defense and kick it off for an open shot or what, you know, um, there's a lot of good complimentary players, a lot of good role players, but I don't know that there's the same level of star players as there was uh, last year. So, again, uh, there's there's definitely a void to be filled there. Well, and I'm going to probably ask this question, question a few times with a similar theme. But one of the things that's interesting to me, and Greg, I, I'm hoping you can provide some insight here. When you look at some of the team, and this year's scheduling, of course, is just you're trying to just get teams to play. Do Do coaches sometimes look at playing really challenging opponents at the beginning of the year, because that can help the team grow it, to, to your example, threes are a lot more contested against high quality opponents than they are with teams that are division two teams or what have you. Some of those home games that you get in a traditional year, is that, is that something that coaches look at to help the team grow in the long run? Cause like you said, although non-conference is fun, it's really kind of building towards what, what is really important, which is the conference season. Todd, I think that's a really good question, and, and I think what you're going to see is you're going to see some different, differing philosophies. Uh, when you look at some of the consistently strong programs, 
you know, whether you look at an NDSU, an SDSU, an Omaha, um, they are comfortable going out and playing anybody anywhere uh, because they know even if they're, you know, they come off the floor with a difficult defeat, they're exposing their players to a, a ton of learning opportunities. When you look at a Denver who, you know, is going to, you know, maybe and coach Billups needs to gain some confidence with his guys. You know, they may play some division two opponents as Denver did with Regis. Kansas City did that as well. Um, it, it's a varying, varying philosophy. And, and, but I think it's, it's all in how the head coach handle, handles the, the situation. And I, I think it really comes down to um, understanding what's important and what are the things that are easy to get against certain opponents and what are the things that are, are, are more difficult to get against your, your stronger opponents and how do you go about that? Um, SDSU obviously jumping into the, the uh, Bad Boy Mower tournament. Uh, they they learn some things about themselves, both good and and bad. And I think NDSU, when you look at their first three opponents, you know Nevada, Nebraska, and Creighton, all away from their home floor, I think they learned a lot about themselves. And so I think it's it's something it's an ongoing process for the coaches, and uh, and coaches will approach it differently. Some coaches may say, I need to build our team's confidence. We need to get wins no matter who they're against. Other coaches will say, I know what this team can do. Let's go out and play high-level competition right away, and let's find out what this team is made of, and then I can, and then I can teach them what we need to do to be successful against high-level opponents. So I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, throughout the league, we'll see this. Um, when, you know, when I go back to Zach's you know, comments about when you look at UND, NDSU, in Omaha, three key teams in the league that had really high-level guard play last year. It's uh, it's interesting to see how they're they're going to be able to come back from that and and, and be able to uh, develop their teams throughout the course of this season because they've got to find a way to 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 decrease the number of turnovers, give their teams an opportunity to score on the offensive end, and not put their teams in an, in in a in a disadvantage on the defensive end because of runouts, whether it's poor shot selection or live ball turnovers. So I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's a work in progress for every coach in the league right now. And I think they all have a, have an idea of how they want to go about it, whether it's high level competition or playing down a little bit and, and allowing their team to gain some confidence with some easy wins. To me, this is, this is why college basketball is so much better than college football. I mean, we all love college football here, but <clears throat> the reality is that in college football, there's no parity. Like, there's absolutely none. And teams schedule scared because they know if they schedule a tough game and lose, they're knocked out of the playoff hunt, right? But that's not the case in college basketball. You know, there's an incredible amount of parity. Uh, Virginia just got beat by San Francisco, you know? And so it, that's what makes this so fun. This part of the season is so fun and it's and it's even more fun this year because games are popping up left and right you know some are falling off the schedule some are adding on you got ndsu going down to play kansas i mean think about that i mean think about if something like that would happen in college football so this is a lot of fun and you know it's something that none of these coaches would say but the reality is is what these teams take from these games and the amount of um 
just performance increase that they get from these games is what's important. It's not necessarily the winner wins and losses because that's that's the deal with a one bid league. I mean, we know that there's only going to be one bid out of this league. And so it's what you can do right now to build to peak in March in Sioux Falls. Um, and sometimes winning games is important. Like, like Greg said, you know, it's important for Denver to figure out and start to, and start to establish that winning culture. And it's important for some of the, the, the top tier schools like the NDSU and the South Dakota States to sharpen their iron against other teams, iron and figure out, you know, and, and get a, a picture in their mind of, okay, this is where we need to be. This is where we need to be. This is where we are right now. This is where we need to be. And then the steps in between there sort of fall into place. So to me, this just makes it so much more exciting when we're able to have these games. People are just able to compete. Just, just go play basketball, compete at a high level. Let's see what happens and, and learn from it and improve and take steps and grow. And, uh, and like Greg said, that's all on the coach to figure out what's best for their team. Uh, every little, every team is different, but um, this part of the year is just a blast, man. I was looking at the schedule for next week, and I'm just it's it's amazing. Uh, the Summit League, they're all playing pretty much par five schools. So this last week was a lot of fun, and it was very interesting. But I think this next week is going to be even more interesting, in my opinion. Well, and it's a time where you just even other Summit League fans, you just get to cheer for yeah. everybody. So win is good, no matter who it is. And, and so for me, it's the, that's the most fun. I mean, I, granted for me, I, I'm not a fan of any team necessarily, but just to be able to cheer every game and hope that the summit league team can put on a, put a good showing out. It's a really fun part of the year. And I just like how these coaches are embracing this, right? I think Mike Bray tweeted out uh, like two days ago. He's just like, Hey, looking for a game on this date. Who wants to play? <laughs> I mean, think about that. Just trying to arrange stuff via Twitter and uh, you know, looking through the replies, there was, there were coaches reaching out. Um, I think one was even Mark Matson at, at, at Utah Valley. So uh, if anybody remembers that name, but um, you know, it, it's, it, it's just fun. I mean, that, that's the thing. You just got to relax and have fun with it. There's no use getting uh, upset or uh, you know, you just got to take the good with the bad, try to put your kids in the best possible place and, and just play as much basketball as you can and, and do the best with what we have basically. So there's no use worrying about anything else at this point. Well, and probably a great transition to the to the games that we saw. So we'll probably go kind of team by team, and I could have been in order of played most games. And mm-hmm. Because the reality is fans, we look at it and we go, oh, my goodness, it's going to be a disaster. Oh, well, that was encouraging, and I think it's going to – we're going to have a really good year. Um, so starting out, Zach, with the crossover classic with, with South Dakota State, you had one really good win against the Ken Palm 86 team in Utah State. A, a narrow defeat to West Virginia and a tough loss to St. Mary's. Did any of that tell us anything about South Dakota state? We didn't know, or what did you well, think? You're, yeah. I mean, you're right. They, they really did challenge themselves. Um, they're, they're playing uh, several very good teams. Um, and I think the benefits of challenging themselves will show up in March. It may not show up in their wins and losses now, um, but that those are the games they absolutely need to be playing. They wouldn't be, gaining anything from playing down in their competition. They know how to win. All the guys that have, that are on their team right now have played a lot of basketball, so that's not lost on them. They're just trying to continue to level, increase their level of play, and so that's, that's what they did. Um, and I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was uh, Baylor Shireman. Man, he's, he's a nice player. I, I, he played kind of sparingly last year, um, but when he did play, you know, he's, he's like one of those like 6'6 lefties, like – he just, you could tell he just has a really good feel for the game. And, 
you know, when I heard he was a prep school quarterback, I know that got beaten to death a little bit on the broadcast, but it really did make a whole lot of sense because you can tell he's out there. He's, he's, he's a pass ahead of everything. And uh, a really nice, well-rounded player can put it on the floor, can pass it, can shoot it. You know, had a, I believe, a 23-point game. I mean, knocking down threes. He was really the one thing that they didn't necessarily have last year, in terms of just like a really strong point guard. And he's not the—he's a much different type of point guard. Uh, he's not necessarily a ball-dominant point guard, uh, but he makes sure the ball gets to where it needs to be on every possession. So, I mean, his development, um, I, I think, is something that's really important. Uh, it, it was nice to see David Winget get uh, get off the shine a little bit, knock down some threes, see a couple of threes go in. He's going to be an important player uh, off the bench for him. Looks like they have the rotation set. Um, you know, I think uh, the game against West Virginia was probably the most impressive game that I've seen out of a Summit League team so far. Uh, that West Virginia team is very, very good. Um, I think South Dakota played them. I have to call them South Dakota State, right? Can't just call them South Dakota. South Dakota State. Um, played them probably better than a lot of big 12 schools will. And ultimately it was just their, their length and athleticism that gave South Dakota state a a hard time in that game. Um, But they're not going to see that type of length and athleticism in the summer league. So that's a pretty good sign when what bothers you the most, they're not going to run into this year. I think um, if if it was up to me, I'd have Douglas touch the ball every time down. Um, But I think it's kind of established to this point that, that's just not exactly who he is. And the fact that he can touch the ball as little as he does and still be as productive, as efficient as he is, is uh, is really an underrated angle for the South Dakota State team. I mean, it's really – it's fun to watch him play. He makes such quick decisions, and it's always the right one. He's a fun guy to watch play. And he, and I, he was getting a little bit more catches on the perimeter. You know, given, given an up fake and putting one dribble and getting all the way to the rim, that's fun to watch, man. That stuff gets me excited. That's – stuff that's rare in the summer league. Um, but the one thing that did kind of stick out to me is there's, they are playing uh, kind of a short bench, you know, they're, they're playing two, maybe three guys off the bench. And, um, and I don't know if that's because that's all they're comfortable with at this point, or if that's just what they want to do. Um, you know, I'd be, if, if it wasn't for this pandemic and this schedule, this unique schedule that they're playing for this year, if they were playing like last year's type of schedule, uh, I'd be calling for an undefeated regular season for South Dakota State. Um, this year, you know, if something pops up and they have to pay, play an unusual lineup and, you know, two games and, and two nights, that type of thing, you know, they may trip up somewhere. But, I mean, to me, they to me they look head and shoulders better than everybody else in the conference. Um, they're definitely more established, much further along than all these other schools at this point, in my opinion. So, I don't know. What did you guys think? I, I was very, very impressed with what we saw out of South Dakota State. Yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement, you know, from the West Virginia game and the Utah State game. Uh, I, I think they demonstrated that they are the most complete team in the Summit League, um, probably by a long ways right now. Um, when you look at position by position and even their depth, you know, eight or nine players deep, uh, I, I think they're exceptional. And I think that the great value that Eric Henderson can take out of this tournament is that they came out against St. Mary's, I thought, extremely lethargic, extremely flat-footed on both ends of the floor, Um, got sticky with the ball on the offensive end, which was not at all what they did the previous two nights. And I think that's something that he's going to be able to take away from this and say, listen, 
you know, for, for one moment, when you think you're pretty darn good, um, it's going to kick you in the tail. And I think that he's probably going to use that, that, that beat down. Well, and I, I, I shouldn't, well, they got handled by St. Mary's. Uh, yeah. When you look initially, and they started out of the gates, they had a ton of scoring opportunities, whether it was close to the basket offensively or from the free throw line, they didn't convert. And that, to me, you know, from Eric Henderson's standpoint, says, listen, guys, if you're not locked in, if you're not totally committed every night, we're going to be vulnerable to anybody we play. And that, you know, that regardless of whether it's a West Coast conference team uh, a Big 12 team, uh, a Mountain West team, or a Summit League team. If we're not locked in, we're going to get our butts beat. And I think Eric Henderson has some ammunition right now because without question, I think he has um, an exceptionally complete team. Arian, solid at the point you talked about. Uh, Shireman and, 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 and his ability as, a, an, as an extremely versatile player and the two bigs, you know, with Wilson or, uh, and, and his ability, I just, I, I don't think they necessarily played as well as they could have, but I, I, I just think they are, they have, they have a chance to be one of the best Summit League, Summit League teams we've seen in a long time. And that even includes the, the, what we have with the scheduling um, uniqueness during this pandemic season. So I think they came out of there with a lot of valuable information. I think Eric Henderson came, came out of there with a lot of valuable ammunition for his guys. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I thought Eric Henderson brought to his team last year was their ability to play hard and, and at a high energy level night in, night out. And I didn't see that the third night against St. Mary's. And I think he'll use that the rest of this season to motivate them, to challenge them, and to uh, give them the best chance to be the, the, the high-level team they're capable of being. Because I think they're very capable, and they're a team that's capable of winning a, winning a game in the tournament, if not two. And so um, it, 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 was, it was a lot of fun to watch them compete. And at the same time, you know, from a coaching perspective, you look at their successes, that they're almost successes, and then their last game, um, that's what Eric Henderson is going to have to to work hard to do is use that to his advantage and to his team's advantage without question. And Greg, I think that's a that's a very important thing. And it you know it some people may see may may think it's simpler than it actually is, but learning how to play at a very high level on back to back nights when you know the game plan is probably a little light, and there's just a greater emphasis on playing hard and doing what they do best. That's not something South Dakota State has had to do in the last year. That's not something that any Summit League school has really had to do. And so to learn how to do that and kind of get in the rhythm of doing that and just knowing, like, what does a day after a game look like when we have to play another game that night? You know, how do you get your treatment in? And what does a shoot-around look like? And all that stuff, that's very important to have a couple test runs going into the season because this this schedule is going to be different. And um, there's going to be some teams that handle it better than others. And so the more practice that you get in in live situations is, very, is going to be important. I don't, I don't think that's a, a point to be taken lightly at all. So it should be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement, Todd. And I'm sorry, I'll make this brief. Playing hard 
is a skill. And competing at a high level is a skill. And that's one of the things that you'll see. Uh, I mean, it ends up being a, a, a cliche at times. But if you aren't willing to play your tail off night in, night out, then don't ever be disappointed when you lose a game that you didn't think you should. And I think that's a, that's a message that Eric Henderson can send to his guys um, because I don't think St. Mary's was, was a more talented team or, or a better team, but I think they came out higher energy level and South Coast State I hopefully realized that and they can use that to their advantage throughout the rest of this season. Well, and I don't have anything to, to add. It's why I like to have let you guys go first. Um, the only thing I will even add to what either of you said is it's just so fun to watch the adjustments with that team. Zach, you had mentioned that uh, Douglas Wilson was, they were having trouble getting in the ball against West Virginia and even Utah State. And then they got him the ball out on the perimeter. And then you watch him uh, do what he can do out there as well. Not as a jump shooter, but just to take the guy off the dribble. And it's just a team full of positionless players. You talk about um, Shireman being a six foot six point guard. Well, he's just as willing to go in and grab a rebound. And so that's what I think is so fun about that team. Yeah, I really expect the playbook to open up a little bit this year for Douglas Wilson. I mean, you saw a fantastic adjustment with, I mean, because, okay, so you have to put somebody on Douglas Wilson that can that can uh, body him up a little bit in the post. Um, but what are the chances that same person can keep him in front of him when he's on the perimeter? Not great, right? Not great. So bringing him out to the perimeter, from depending on the matchup, that's something we haven't seen a lot of, and that could be a huge part of what we see this year. I mean, yeah, to, to see Douglas Wilson give that little love fake, even though I don't know that he's he's hit an outside shot, but people still go for it, and they him just put one dribble on the floor and get all the way to the front of the rim. I mean, that's it's beautiful. So uh, he's he's quite the athlete. I agree with both of you guys. Very complete team. A lot of guys that can do the things that you talked about: face up, catch, one bounce, create uh, for themselves and others. So before we get put in danger of being called a South Dakota State podcast, um, we'll we'll move on to North Dakota State. Greg, um, 0-3 start, but as you had mentioned earlier, a uh, some really tough co- competition. What did we learn from our three games with North Dakota State? Well, I kind of like the progression, to be honest with you. I thought Dave Richmond, and and he's demonstrated this throughout his his head coaching. Um, uh, you know, career at North Dakota State is his ability to to develop his team over the course of a season. And it was nice to watch it over the course of three games. Now, he's not going to be happy, the fact that they didn't beat Nevada, that they didn't beat Nebraska, they didn't beat Creighton. But I also think that he's he's educating this group and, uh, and helping them to understand what's going to give them a chance to be successful. Now, I do love, and I said this on Twitter earlier tonight, uh, the, the core they have with Cruiser and Edie and Greasel. Uh, they're all multidimensional players. Uh, not necessarily explosive on the offensive end, but very sound. And what they need to do is be able to fill in around them. Um, I know they're missing that that primary ball handler, and, and and we've already addressed this in the podcast, this positionless basketball. But I just still think the value uh, of a of a primary ball handler, a primary decision maker, and somebody who initiates the offense, who pushes when they can see 
there's an opportunity, who pulls it out when they when they see that the half court execution is what's more valuable, and can they develop that? Uh, can they get that back from injury? I think that's something that's going to determine how well this team grows. Uh, I do think they uh, they 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 matured even from the first half to the second half against Creighton today, as we're as we're recording this podcast. You know they took much better care of the basketball in the second half, and and that's just about being strong with the ball and finding a way to get a shot every time down the floor. Even if it doesn't go in, you're not allowing runouts and you're not allowing you know, the opposition to get in some transition opportunities. And so I, I, I do think they're going to continue to grow. Um, I, I love their core, and I think we're, it's going to be interesting to see how some of the younger players develop, um, both of the North Dakota kids, Skunberg, uh, the kid out of Devil's Lake. I think they both have a, a really high ceiling for improvement throughout the course of this season. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. I still think they're one of the best teams in the Summit League, and I think we're going to see uh, Coach Richmond. This might be one of his most enjoyable and challenging coaching jobs because he has the potential. How, how well does, does it fall into place for him and his coaching staff to develop it and get it to fall into place? Greg, you were talking about the progression over these couple games and yeah, it doesn't show up in the win and loss column, but I think you're right. I do think like, to me, it seems like what's happening is they're starting to develop their identity and they're starting to quickly realize the type of basketball team they are. Um, I think if the games in the seventies, they're probably not going to stand a great chance. I think the if the games in the fifties or sixties, I think they stand a pretty good chance. I think they're going to be a good defensive team. Um, I know they're going to be a good rebounding team, um, but it's, you know, can they try to get a couple of cheap baskets off of getting steals or long rebounds and convert them into extra points because scoring in the half court is going to be, it's going to be a struggle for them. Um, they know what to do. They do a good job spacing. They're patient. Um, you know, if they clean up a couple turnovers, I think they're going to get more efficient. Um, but the, they just don't have that straw that serves the drink. I know every, every coach says this, but man, if Vinny, if Vinny Shahid could be on this team, yeah. he'd be talking like a, a pretty, a pretty tough team, right? He's really kind of the one thing that's missing. That's what they say about all seniors, I guess. But, um, you know, anyway, I, I think they're kind of figuring out what type of team they're going to be. And there's nothing wrong with winning games in the sixties, nothing at all. And I think they can slow the game down. I think they can grind teams on defense. I think they can get rebounds. And so I think they're figuring that out. Now, obviously, when you're playing against teams like Creighton and Kansas and stuff like that, it's, that's going to be a tough ask to, t- to keep teams like that down. But in the Summit League, they should be able to do that. You know, they're going to be able to switch all ball screens. You know, they're going to be able to rebound all their positions. So um, I, I think you're right, Greg. They're, they're going to be a good team. You know, we're talking about the power rankings, whether they're at two or three. You know, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a coin flip probably between them and Oral Roberts at this point, I think. Well, and one question for you, both of you, if you have happened to have heard, any news on Donald Carter on how long he, he'll be out? Well, I, I, I did a little checking today, and, and I, it's, it's not a season-ending thing. It, it, was a, it was a pretty significant injury, but right. I do think that, you know, there's potential for him to be back later on. Um, my only concern in all of it, guys, is, is when I look at Sam Griesel, 
right now he's their primary ball handler and decision maker and, and initiator of the offense. And, and in a way, it, it kind of takes away from what he is so good at. When I look at what North Dakota State is able to do on the offensive glass, I think they can create a ton of extra possessions in Summit League play. And, uh, and Griesel is one of the best at it. And when you put him in that, in that position of being the, the initiator of the offense and maybe sometimes a little farther away from the basket than what you would like to have him be, um, you kind of wonder, all right, what's the trade-off here? So I do think it's important if they can get Carter back um, healthy, even if it's 10 games from now, I think it makes them a substantially better team as long as he can value the ball. Um, and as long as the rest of the team can value the ball. And I also, I, when I watched Skunberg uh, and, and the both freshmen, uh, the kid out of Devils Lake Nelson, you know, their abilities, um, I think there's a really high ceiling for both of those guys offensively. Uh, I also watched Malik Harden-Hayes, his motor, his energy level, his willingness to get after it on the glass on the offensive end. This team, I think, will will, will come into – you know, more of what Dave Richmond wants them to be as they can get um, a primary ball handler and decision maker and, and, and initiator of the offense on the floor on a more consistent basis. Greg, I wonder if they're going to post up Edie and Greaseau a little bit more. I mean, what are the chances are that a team has two guards that are also decent at post defense? I mean, when you were coaching, how often did you have your guards work on post defense? I mean... Probably not much. Yeah. No, it's a great question, Zach. You know, and it goes back to, you know, you go back to the Bo Ryan swing offense. That's one of the things he did is he posted up guards because guards well, never wanted to defend in the post. And I think you're right. I think, you, I think you're on to something. I think both Greasel and Edie can be exceptionally effective offensively around the glass. It's funny you mentioned that because we actually ran a lot of that in in college when I was playing. <laughs> Half the time it would be me entering the ball into the post. And it's yeah. funny because like, big guys actually kind of know, I feel like they're much better at entering the ball in the post than guards because guards just kind of fling it down there. But, but posts know, hey, you know, if the guard's on this side, I need to go throw the ball on the other side, that, that sort of thing. It's kind of funny because it works. It looks really weird, but it works. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a long-term thing or not, but it's a nice wrinkle anyway. Well, I think it is, and I go back to that core of Edie, Greasel, and and Cruiser. They're really good, and I think that that Dave Richmond, if he can build around them the way he wants to, and if they can get their turnover numbers down, they're going to be a difficult team to defend in the half court. Well, uh, I think we'll move on to Omaha. They're the other team that played three games against um, Division One competition this week. They played down in the beach bubble. Uh, and one of the interesting things that I thought was here you've got a, a team against other mid-majors te- teams playing Abilene Christian, who is 26 on Kempom, Austin P 146, and Middle Tennessee at 204. Now, Omaha went one and two, but it seems like a good blueprint for, for Summit League teams to get really good competition in the non-conference schedule. Now, things for Omaha didn't always go the way they would want them to. Uh, they averaged 21 turnovers a game. Um, the, and and so that was their biggest Achilles heel. And their comeback against uh, uh, Middle Tennessee was a, a last-second comeback where it looked like they were going to, uh, to, to maybe falter there at the end. But a really good challenge for the team at the beginning of the season against other mid-major teams. 
And of course, we'll see buy games and, and all of that happen next year, um, especially given the financial situation teams are in. But a, a really fun tournament, and I could even see the Pentagon tournament turning into something looking a little bit more like that in the future. Um, any thoughts on Omaha? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, your first point about the, these MTEs, these multiple tournament uh, events is, I think they're very efficient and I think they're very budget friendly and they provide some really interesting matchups in a very short period of time. So I, I can't, uh, I can't see the argument against them. Uh, I think those are only going to expand. Uh, they don't all have to be in Maui. There's a lot of great locations for them and it, it's a great way, you know, whether it's something like this or the summit league horizon league challenge or something like that. Um, I always hear about how hard it is to put together a schedule, uh, especially in the non-conference and, uh, you know, it, 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 things like that, I think that they're just, we'll only see more and more of them. They seem to be a pretty efficient way of getting things done. Um, but to, to, to speak on Omaha a little bit, um, I was a little, uh, I think a little concerned about the lack of the backcourt production a little, you know, we talked about in previous podcasts about how much um, production they're vacating through graduation. And, uh, but they, they also have some experienced guys behind them, you know, Ayo Akinwale, um, he's played a lot of basketball now stepping into a lead role. Um, and you know, the level of production just wasn't quite there. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't really have a chance to watch a lot of those games. I, I watched, you know, just bits and pieces. Um, so I don't want to uh, be too judgmental about it, but that was just kind of my takeaway. Um, I do like the fact that they're keeping Michael Ruffin off the bench. I really think he's found a niche there and having a guy that can come off the bench that can score you 20 points. That's extremely valuable. That's just as that's just as valuable as a starter, and it doesn't necessarily matter who starts the game. It matters who finishes who finishes the game, and he'll be, my guess, is one of the guys on the court at the end of the game. So, um, I think I, I mean they played about as well as I thought they'd play. You know, Matt File, you know what he's going to do, right? He's going to go get you a double double. Um, but they look they look about on schedule. I don't know that their ceiling is as high as some of the previous uh, Omaha teams, um, but you know they're going to be a, a, a tough, well coached team. I mean. Any Coach Hansen team is going to have all those tenants. So um, it should be another interesting year out of them. Well, and they were a lot better when Akadwale was up for the, the turnovers came in bunches. He was sitting. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, one of those things that all his production and his effect on the game is probably not going to show up in the box score. So it's probably not very productive just to look at what he does in the box score. But uh, he's played a lot of basketball, knows exactly what Coach Hansen wants. And so he's going to be very important regardless of how many assists or points he scores. Yeah, I, I think you guys both make some really good points. Darren Hansen um, has been around the business long enough to say, you know what, this non-conference stuff, it is what it is. I mean, I can, I can lose sleep over some lost games, or I can say, hey, what does it take for us to compete at a high level in the Summit League? Um, I've always been impressed with Coach Hansen. They play a high-possession game, but they've always managed turnovers very well. And so, yeah, the turnover numbers were high, and I think he's going to adapt to that. I think he's going to coach to that. I think he's going to say, listen, guys, you know, it doesn't do us any good to play a high-possession game if we're going to throw it into row four, you know, every third possession. And so I think he will continue to develop, continue to grow his perimeter players. Obviously, there's a lot of production to replace with the, with the two key losses they had at the guard spots. But I also think that he will, um, he'll, he'll take a lot, you know, from what they learned down there in this multi-team event. 
and uh, he'll continue to improve. We all go back to this. The non-conference is, is the, all the window dressing for the Summit League. You learn a lot, you know, regardless of whether or not you're playing Division II teams, NAIA teams, or, or you know, fellow mid-majors or high-majors. You learn a lot about your team. And you learn a lot about what it takes to say, listen, if we want to compete in the Summit League and give ourselves a chance to be a top four seed, here are the things we have to do. Nobody knows that better than Darren Hansen. Well, and one of the things that I did notice, and by the way, closed circuit to the Omaha radio broadcast that goes off their website, it would be fantastic fantastic if in the middle of an Akawale 3, I didn't get a Home Depot ad from now on, but uh but the, yeah, right in the middle, it would go, and it's up for three, and then I'd hear about the Home Depot for forty-five seconds. Um, <laughs> what, they well, weren't. It, it wasn't a. It wasn't a Home Depot ad selling bricks or anything, was it? <laughs> they should have been. Yeah, bricks. And <laughs> 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 That'd be tremendous product placement if you know. Yes, it <laughs> And it was right towards the end of the Middle Tennessee's game. I just about gave up and started watching the uh, ESPN stream thing or, or what have you. Um, but Marlon Ruffin seemed to show that that the preseason second team honors that he's he's going to at least put up some numbers that put him in the conversation for that. And he uh, went six for six at the line to finish out the Middle Tennessee game. He's got a little bit of that, like, if you want somebody there at the end of the game, he seems like the guy that's that that would be that guy. Yeah. Six man of the year and, uh, for, and first or maybe second team all conference, probably not a whole lot of those, uh, those combination of awards in the history of the summit league. But um, my guess is that probably happens this year. You're right. Um, so I want to move on to South Dakota and Greg, I'm going to pass it off to you before I make my comment. This was the team that I thought was the most concerning as I watched them play. It just felt like they weren't sure where where they wanted to go, what they wanted to look like. Is it going to be a Mude putting up 25 shots? Is it going to be spread around? Um, what were your thoughts in their two losses to Colorado and Drake? Well, it's a good question. I, I, I watched most of the Drake game. Didn't get a chance to see much of the Colorado game. Uh, really love what Plitzwhite brings. A.J. Plitzwhite, I think, is a very good addition. A Mude is a guy that when you go back a year, he was in the transfer portal, and I, I'm thinking USD did a ton of recruiting to keep him there. And in the process of that, how much do you promise him? How much do you, you know, how much, you know, latitude do you give him to say you're going to be our guy? Because Amude is is fantastic, you know, as far as his athleticism, his ability to score from all three levels and things along those lines. But he's also got to be a guy that understands his limitations within in each and every game. Am I scoring it? Am I shooting it well? Am I finishing around the basket? Um, right now, I don't know. Because outside of Plitzwhite and Amude, I'm not sure who USD's consistent performers are going to be. And I think that's something that Coach Lee is going to have to figure out along with his staff. Because they look very disjointed. Um, granted, you know, the funny thing is we've talked about a ton of turnovers here early on. They didn't turn the ball over a lot. But yes. I also look at it and go... Yeah, I mean, they're not turning over a lot, but are they efficient offensively in any way? They looked extremely disjointed. And uh, that's the great thing for Coach Lee is there's a lot of preseason left where you can fix some of those things. But um, I don't know. You know, they've got, they've got a lot to figure out. They lost a ton of production from last year. 
when you go back to Amude, kind of the only guy coming back, Flitzwhite, the kid that sat on the bench last year as a transfer and has the, uh, I think, clearly has the ability to be an impact player in the league. Are those two guys going to be enough? Who are going to be the third and fourth options? Uh, that's a lot to figure out for the USD coaching staff moving forward. I think they didn't just lose production. They lost a lot of, you know, not to use cliches, but like a lot of grit and toughness and smarts. I mean, those guys that that graduated, um, they weren't the highest producers, but they were they were a, a bunch of mentally and physically tough guys, and who did a lot of the the, the dirty work to free up Amude. And without those guys there, uh, you know, I, I wonder about just their their mental makeup this year. I think. They have some good players, you know, and to a large extent, it's on those players to step up and take those roles. I mean, they're the ones that earn those roles. The coaches don't give those roles out. They're earned. And uh, and along with that comes the credibility. So um, I, I think you guys are right to have a lot of concern there. Um, they have a long way to go in a short period of time here. Um, they have the players that can get it done. Uh, it's just a question of whether it all comes together you know, what happens when it doesn't, you know, do they rally around each other? Do they kind of pull apart? I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't want to get too speculative at, at this point. Um, but I think you guys are right They're They're definitely a team to watch because, you know, we, we saw this, this group between, you know, the third spot and about the seventh spot. And, you know, they're particularly for this reason, we could see them finish anywhere within there. So, um, I'm going to be watching them really closely as well. Uh, they have they have some big matchups coming up here, uh, just like everyone else. And so, uh, but but plenty of time to grow. You know, I I don't think they're all that different from some of these other teams too. So, I mean, they, they look like a team that could use a couple of exhibition games and some more practice. Well, pretty much every team could, right? Because they didn't get any. So it's it's very understandable why they look the way that they do to a certain extent, anyway. So, it, one more comment on that. And Zach, you make some really really good points when you look at the amount of production lost in the league, you can look easily look at North Dakota state and say, you know, when you, when you lose Shahid and, and, um, Oh, for gosh sakes, uh, Tyson Ward, that's a ton of production, but I don't know that anybody lost more production than USD because you look at Hagedorn who is literally a player of the year candidate. When you look at Simpson, who may have been the best, or one of the best point guards in the league. You look at Cody Kelly, who was who had grit uh, at a totally different level. Those are three guys. I, I think USD may have lost as much, if not more, production than anybody in the league. So I think they have the the maybe the the bigger hole to dig out of, and and uh, the, the the toughest challenge to find an identity because everybody knows Umude is. His individual talent is, is unchallenged in the league without question. And Plitzowite is going to be, a, I think, a stabilizing force on the perimeter. But they've got a lot of holes to fill. So um, I, 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 I'm in agreement with you. I think USD lost a ton of production. And uh, they're going to have to find a way to replace at least a portion of that. Yeah, so I think it was two years ago. Uh, USD went up to UND and I think they played with like six, maybe seven guys <clears throat> and, uh, and, and Peterson and, and Kelly and, and those guys and Simpson, just like you were saying, 
you know, obviously didn't pick up, put up big numbers, but man, they physically and almost like emotionally beat down that UND team. It was really, really impressive. I came away just like, wow, who is this team? Like, and it was funny because that night, uh, it, you know, we, we showed up to the game, typical Grand Forks weather, right? Showed up the game, beautiful day, left, it was a whiteout. And we barely made it to the same hotel until we were at the restaurant at the same time. And I was talking to them and, you know, they're just, we're, we're, we're a fresh group for playing. Basically everybody played 40 minutes. It was just, I just, that, that just really left an impression on me um, just about those guys. And so it's just goes far beyond the box score for those guys, in my opinion. Uh, I agree, Todd, sorry to interrupt, but Peterson, when you look at Peterson, Kelly, Simpson and Hagedorn gone from that team, a lot of production to fill. And so we're about 10 minutes away from an hour, and we're, we're probably going to go a little over that, but I did want to get us moving. I want to make one disclaimer before I do that, though. At times, uh, I'll say some critical things, and I don't like being critical of people that have worked way harder at their craft than I ever had. Uh, and, and so just understand that it's just from what I see, and I fully recognize I'm a five foot six man who gets winded walking to the mailbox. I, um, it, nowhere near put in the effort into my craft that these coaches and players do. I, I just feel like I have to say that because I don't like being critical of things, but it, uh, it, in my opinion, it's kind of one of those things like you do have to call a spade a spade to a certain extent here. Um, if we just, if we were just positive about everything, I feel like we lose credibility, right? Because not everything is positive. Um, I do think you want to frame things appropri- appropriately, and I think that's what we always try to do here. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, you know, obviously nobody's saying we could do it any better, um, but we just have to add context, I think. Right. So last time I'll do that disclaimer, I just wanted to get that out there um, so we can say way more negative things in the future. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, Zach, I wanted to go to North Dakota with you. That's kind of your stomping ground. So um, what did you see with North Dakota in their one game? Well, you know, I mean, UND, much like South Dakota, um, they, they have a, they have a bit of ways to go in terms of establishing um, what they're going to be. And they're a long ways from a finished product. Partly that's because they're having, you know, they're shuffling in and out a lot of different personnel at this point. Um, so they started Bentu, uh, Panoam, Ethan Ogbonago, Deshaun Allen Eikens, Phil Fabracha, and Mitchell Suker, right? Um, Bintu and, and Mitchell Suker di- didn't score in that game. I, I think Mitchell Suker is going to stick in the starting lineup. Um, Caleb Nero came off the bench in, in 16 points. He was playing kind of a, primarily a point guard role. And I think Caleb Nero probably is a little bit more of an, uh, he's, he's a little bit more comfortable off the ball. Um, and uh, one guy that they didn't have is Tyree and Hacho. And I think that he's going to become an important part of this UND team going forward and wasn't able to play in that first game. So we haven't even really seen what their, what their lineup's going to be come um, conference season um, right now. But I think probably this next game, um, they'll probably start Tyree, Caleb, uh, Sabian and Mitchell and Phillip would be my guess. I think they're going to still go two bigs and essentially three guards. I think, uh, you know, Sabian Sims gives them a lot of uh, flexibility. I really think, I really like what he does defensively. Um, yeah, bigger guy, can move his feet, can guard the three, four, or five, can switch ball screens, things like that. Um, Nero, I think, is going to be a guy that they just need to continue to have him be aggressive. I think he can, can create. 
but you know maybe even coming off more ball screens uh, things like that he could be the one guy they do it and Tyree you know as a freshman they really like what he's done so far in practice he's really uh you know good size good athleticism can get to a lot of places there's going to be growing pains here um but again he's a guy that you want to invest a lot of playing time in because he could progress quickly and he could put this team into a position where they could have the most success in in March so um but yeah, the, the the front court, you know, have all the nice little rotation with Philip Robacha, Mitchell Sucker, uh, Gertadas, and Sabian. Um, that's not a bad little four person rotation there. That's more than they could say last year. So that's definitely improved much, uh, much more flexibility there. Um, the back court and Hacho, uh, Nero, Igbonago, Shockey, Alan Eikens, um, and Davidson. So um, again, they, they have a little bit more size, a couple more players that they're comfortable playing. And um, I think, you know, like we talked about before, the one thing that they're missing is probably the, the, the true point guard. <clears throat> but they're going to manufacture it a little bit. Um, play 10 guys in the first game. I think, like I said, defensively, they're going to be much more flexible than they were, much more versatile than they were last year. I don't know if they're a great defensive team yet, but I could see them definitely getting there. And much like South Dakota and much like NDSU, they could really benefit from – getting some steals, getting some long rebounds, and scoring in transition, getting those easy buckets when they can. Um, and I think offensively, playing through Phillip is going to be something that they're going to have to do. And Phillip's going to have to get used to that. You can tell he's not quite used to that right now, seven turnovers in the first game. Um, but playing through him as the focal point of the offense, not as a complimentary part like he was last year, he's going to get double a lot. And I think him getting a touch every single time and allowing him to facilitate the offense through the post, I think is a nice way for them to play. You know, get a catch in the block, look middle, read the defense. If, if they're doubling you, find the open guy. If they're not, if it's one-on-one, he can score in that situation pretty comfortably. So um, just a lot of poise, a lot of patience, a lot of smarts, and, and just a lot of reps getting used to this being the focal point of the offense. I think it's going to go a long way for him. Um and so I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting for them. Um, but again, taking care of the ball, being very uh, efficient on offense, they're gonna have to knock down shots. There's no way around that. They weren't great at shooting the ball last year from three. They're they are a little bit more capable this year, um, but you still have to step up and do it. And they really didn't do that the first game, so that's definitely something to watch too. But uh, much like these other teams, you know, they have the players on their roster to be a, a nice team. And I think it's a situation where nobody's going to be graduating this year. So they're going to have a lot of uh, learning and growth go on this year and maybe hit the ground running for next year. But, you know, like we saw last year, um, where you're at the beginning of the year does not necessarily mean is not indicative where you're going to be at the end of last year. And where they were at the end of last year was in the in the conference championship game. So um, their coaching staff knows how to get it done. They've done this before. It's going to be a bit of a prog- process. Um and it's going to be fun to watch. I'm really curious to see. They need to get as many games under their belt as they possibly can um, because they're going to benefit more than anybody from just reps, live reps, not playing against each other, playing against high-level competition. So um, plenty fun to watch, plenty fun to uh, monitor on this one anyway. Yeah, I'll just I'll just tag on to, to Zach's comments on UND. I think the one thing about Paul Sather is he's always been able – to coach his bigs to utilize double teams to their advantage. And I'm, I'm sure he'll do that with Phillip. 
And I think he'll uh, he'll help Philip understand that. Listen, your your ability to pass out of double teams can create so many easy scoring opportunities if you have the right vision, the right stance, the right strength with the ball. And uh, and I also believe that that Coach Sather will continue to develop his team on the defensive end. That's one of the things that that he's always been exceptional at is getting his guys to defend, to uh, 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 limit the, the, the opponent's production offensively, to limit their shot attempts. And I think that's, that's what he's going to do. Um, he's, he's been successful when he's had strong bigs. Phillip is, is clearly one of the best in the league. And uh, I think as, as, as he matures, understands the value that he brings to the team on the offensive end when he draws that double, I think he'll appreciate it more. He'll set his teammates up for success more offensively. And, I, and I'll go back to this. Uh, the, the, throughout the course of the season, they'll become one of the better defensive teams in the league. Looking forward to watching it all develop. The one thing I like about Coach Sather is he's an extremely good developer of talent. I mean, you can see that every, at every stop he's been at at Northern State, even the first year here. His players not only get better in the offseason, but throughout the course of the year, and obviously that, that's a combination of skill development and just keeping them in the, the right situations. And so I really think that's going to be a big part of what he does. But he's also not a stubborn guy, right? He does a good job of reading his team and understanding how this team can best play to reach their potential. He doesn't necessarily have a style. He certainly has certain, certain things he likes to accomplish. But if what he wants to accomplish doesn't match up with what his team can best do, he's not going to be uh, stubborn about it. You know, like last year was a great example of that. I don't think he really wanted to have Marlon Stewart just work off the ball screen every single time, but you couldn't deny its success, and it took him all the way to the conference championship game. And so um, it's a really good balance between player development and uh, reading his team and keeping his players in the best possible situations for their skill set at that time. Zach, that's a great point. Um, as a fellow North Dakotan, we're pretty spoiled. We got Paul Sather up at UND, Dave Richmond at NDSU. Uh, those guys develop talent, and they know how to win. That's something you can say about the majority of the coaches in the Summer League. That's what makes it such a tough conference. Well, and we got two other teams that have played Division One opponents, so so not much on Denver or Western Illinois, just not much to talk about given the lack of D1 opponents. Um and I, I'll, I'll go a little bit into Oral Roberts, and then I have mostly a question based off of Kansas City's start. Um, so with Oral Roberts, they played Missouri, and we're right with them in the first half. I can't remember exactly. They were at single digits, um, and it got away from them in the second half. So the things that I saw, you still have plenty of guys that can beat you one-on-one. Um, Kareem Thompson, the Juco guard, six-foot-six guard, did did some ball handling and played off the ball a little bit. He seems he's super smooth. seems like he might surprise a little bit. Uh, Lufile is still out uh, with an injury. I um, mean, and, and not surprisingly, Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner with 18 points and 17 points respectively. Um, still some of the same concerns for me with Oral Roberts that I, that I saw last year, plenty of guys that can beat you one-on-one, but they also really try to do that a lot. Um, when they play together, it's a, a very different team, um, but a lot of one-on-one, especially in the second half against Missouri, and that's just a team that athletically will stay with you. Um, they may see that a little different in the Summit League, but 
uh, kind of back to old habits in the second half. Any, did you guys, were you guys able to catch any of that game or any thoughts? I just saw bits and pieces. Um, but I'm really looking forward to Max Aismas having the ball in his hands full time. Um, thought he looked really good as a freshman, really, really good. Um, I believe it was Sam Kearns was their other point guard. It was, not, it was one of those guys who has been in the program a long time, four years, really trusted. Um, but you could tell Max Aismas was definitely the more talented of the two. And so you're right. I think it's on him to how does he balance between getting his own shot and getting his teammates going. Uh, I, you know, I have Kevin O'Banner in the post. I have Deshane Weaver on the wing. You know, what do I do? How do I decide who gets the ball this time? You know, how, how can I read my teammates? You know, how can I pick them up and get the most out of them? Things like that. Um, they have plenty of talent. Is Can there some be the greater uh, of their parts? I, I think is kind of what you're saying, too. And um, the one thing that did kind of stand out to me, you know, Shane Weaver, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how healthy he is. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, pr- production a little light, but he's a really good player, too. And, I mean, you, you want to talk about position flexibility. I mean, Oral Roberts could start. Six nine, six eight, six six. I mean, they they could be switching all the ball screens too. So um, plenty of talent there. Um, and I think I, I like this team this year with Max Aismas at the point guard better than I did last year. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Missouri's a good team though. Missouri's good. Yeah, and Aismas did a good job. Uh, uh, last year was a lot out in the perimeter with him, and he did a good job when that was taken away, hitting a few mid-range shots, some floaters, things like that. So I thought it looked like he's expanded his game a little bit and there was not much to expand. on. He had a fantastic freshman season. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to go back to a few things. Um, you know, it's interesting. Paul Mills was a high, high major assistant at Baylor. And when you, when you get your high major people, you, you are so used to probably coaching more towards an NBA style at times an isolation, individual player, mentality when you get in the summit league i'm going to go back to a lot of well and i'm sorry but it's ndsu and sdsu when you look at the nate walters the mike doms the lawrence alexanders the Vinny shaheeds those guys were all fantastic players but even even with the 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 high level you know, uh, numbers that those guys put up. Every single one of them made their teammates better, elevated the play of their teammates. And that's really how you win the Summit League Championship. And, and, and it's really how you win the Summit League Tournament Championship is by doing it in a manner where, yes, you have the capability of putting the team on your shoulders at times, but you also have a, a, an even higher ability of, elevating the play of your teammates at times and getting them the ball in, in, in positions where they can be effective and where they can score, where, whether you're defeating double teams, whether you're breaking down a defense off the ball reversal and dribble penetration, whatever it might be. And, and I don't mean this as a, as a criticism, but I mean it as, a, as, an, as an observation. I still have yet to see that out of ORU. Mm-hmm. Are they extremely talented? Listen. If I had to pick somebody um, from the Summer League, you know, to start my team with, I don't know that it wouldn't be Kevin O'Banner. The kid's amazing. But has he been taught how to elevate the level of play of his teammates? 
to me, I have yet to see that out of ORU, and that's why they have yet to maybe uh, um, achieve preseason expectations to this point. Yeah, I think every team has their things that they need to work on, right? I mean, they pretty much all do. Um, but to me, with, with Earl Roberts, it's, you know, it's a couple years in a row now, right? Um, are, are they being honest with themselves about the reason why they're not having more success in March? Um, I don't know. I, that's the only question that they can answer. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of conversation about it. But in my mind, like that, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, obviously, they're not playing to satisfy us. But, you know, I think that we all, like everybody knows, like, that's what's holding them back. And so I'm very curious to see if they make progress on that. Um, plenty of talent there, like you said. Um, definitely dangerous. But until it manifests itself and, and, and starts to, they start to overcome those issues in March, we're going to be left talking about this every single year. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, nothing else to add from what you guys just, just said. Um, I'll wrap up today's episode with a question. So Kansas city lost to uh, a Ken Palm three thirty three team in Southeast Missouri, a team they, they, you know, at least based on Vegas and Ken Palm should have beat. But they started their season with two games against, I don't even know if it was Division Two or Division Three teams. And some of that was outside of their hands. That The tournament they were in in Kansas City there lost three of the teams, and so they added some lower-level competition. But the second game they played was against a team that had lost to Samford by 75 the day before. And what I so I had a chance to watch that on the Kansas City stream, and they never really actually had to run offense, Kansas City. They would break the press. The team they played against would press and then double the ball. So they either break the press and get a dunk or a layup, or it was they break the double team on the ball and get a dunk or a layup. And then they came out to the next game, and, and I thought really struggled. This is could be to either of you. Does a game like that against that team, that Division two or three team, really help prepare you for, for games in the future, or is that – or am I overthinking it? I mean, I think if you want to have one of those games, so you can work out the kinks of like your pregame warm up and your pregame r- ritual in terms of when you eat your meal. <laughs> and um, I, I'm, I'm reaching here. I'm reaching here. Um, it, it may not hurt to have one of those games right at the beginning of the year just to have all the day, game day logistics out of the way. Um, it doesn't help you win any games, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'll stop reaching, Greg. What do you think? Uh, it's a good question. I, you know, the way I look at it, I, I remember I, I bought a game as a Division Two head coach one time, and, and and the opposing head coach came in and sat on the couch that we had as a promotion for the best seat in the house. He sat on the couch during the pregame warmups. The most important thing to him was what are we going to get for a pregame meal and a postgame meal as part of this agreement? And what you do as a coach is you try to say, listen, let's handle this the best way we can. Let's, you know, let's not oversimplify this. Let's not, you know, let's try to execute when we can. Let's try to find a way to improve. I don't know. You know, I don't think those games really improve your team at all. If anything, you might end up with a false sense of security. But at the same time, during these times, the pandemic times, you take what you can get. And I'm sure Coach Donlin 
will find a way to uh, to to maximize whatever value they can get out of these games. And um, you know, it's it's hard to judge. It's hard to criticize. It's hard to to say, hey, it was the right thing to do. I think the most important thing is how do you handle your next opportunity, whoever that opponent may be, because it's so amazing as we look around the landscape of Division One basketball. I don't know that anybody knows who their next opponent's going to be. They might be on the schedule, but it might not be who they play. So, um, hey, find a way to, to improve and, and, and get your team developed the best way you possibly can under the current set of circumstances. I guess the more I think about it, you know, is it it's it's probably slightly better than practice because slightly. those guys yeah, I mean the the those guys at the end of the bench probably need some reps when they're wearing their team's jersey and they're the only guys on the court, you know, and they're the focal point of everything. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you may <laughs> It, we we may be in the middle of January, and all of a sudden those guys get thrown in the starting lineups, and so it's probably a good idea that the first time that they're not wearing the jersey and playing an actual NCAA basketball game is right in the middle of the conference season. So, you know, at least you're kind of taking that scenario off the table. Um, but yeah, it, it, you need to frame it very carefully as a head coach that this is not this is not uh, going to be a normal thing here. Well, and I do, again, want to be clear that this isn't even a criticism of that tournament in Kansas City. Three or four teams dropped out. They just put teams in as best they could. Like Greg said, today, today's day and age, you're finding opponents wherever you can find them just to get basketball games in. But almost wanted to frame it more into a, you look at Omaha's tournament that they played, and, and we've talked many times about the Summit being a one-bid league as these one bid leagues want to get stronger, I just look at it as this opportunity going forward. How do next year when they schedule, how do we get as many games that challenge the conference as possible, not only for the betterment of the teams, but just for the numbers and yeah, to me, these tough teams. Yeah. To me, the easy answer is, you know, because this isn't unique to the summer league, all these mid-major conferences have this issue. It's just like the, the summer league horizon league challenge, right? Go, go do that one. Go do one with the Big West. You know, hey, that, that, that's half of your non-conference schedule right there. Right. And um, it, it kind of helps uh, everybody solve each other's problems as well. So um, I, I hope they become a bigger part of the, the future. It's fun to watch as fans. I think it's very budget-friendly. And you get probably the, the most comparable level of basketball. So um, kind of checks all the boxes for me. Right. You can still get your three or four buy games or what have you to, to yep. get that right. Yeah, guys, I, I'm in agreement with you. And I, and at the same time, I, I sit here and think about Tom Dupel and his, in his situation as commissioner of the Summit League. Every mid-major league wants to say or wants to ask themselves the question, how do we, how do we become a multi-bid league? Now, let's take this year and throw it out. Because it's, uh, it, it's, it's not it's unlike any other year, but I think moving forward you have to look at that. Um, you know, I don't think it's anybody any any conference commissioner's obligation to sit back and say, well, we're a single bid league. I think it's every mid majors, you know, every mid major conference commissioner's job to say, how do we how do we become a multi bid league? How do we become, you know, at the same level of the Mountain West? Maybe the Missouri Valley in certain years, 
uh, even even though you know even after they lost Wichita State and Creighton. But how do we become a multi-bit league? And I think that's something that Tom Dupel needs to take a look at moving forward. What are the things we can do to put ourselves in a position in a position, you know, scheduling wise? to become a multi-bid league. And I think that's what you'll see is you'll see if that ever becomes a, a priority, which I, I'm sure it is, is they're going to eliminate a lot of the non-Division One games. They're going to say, listen, we need to play higher level competition in the preseason, in the non-conference season. And so I, I'm excited to see how that plays out. And I'm sure Tom Duple is looking at that because let's be honest, on the women's side, it's very, very close to becoming a consistent multi-bid league yep. uh, the summit league is can they find a way to replicate that on the men's side i don't think they're far away and i'm sure tom Dupel is looking at that yeah greg it's funny you mentioned that uh, i think they've done it on the women's side i mean a lot of that is because there's just great basketball been playing but you're right the way that they're scheduling that's a great blueprint for it i'd be i'd be pretty surprised if there isn't more than one bid out of the summit league this year All right. Great. Well, we will wrap up for today. And I do want to just say thank you to all the people that have been listening. Our numbers are fantastic, more than we could have expected. We appreciate the feedback, the questions, um, the visits to the website, reachingthesummitpodcast.com. I want to say thank you to the multiple, I think we're up to nine writers on the site now that can give you a better perspective for each team. Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody for the support. And that will end our podcast for today. And we'll look forward to talking to you next Sunday. Thanks guys. Todd.